William Butler, Butler Yeats said something kind of funny about Irish people. Sorry, Irish people. He said this. Being Irish, he had an abiding sense of tragedy which sustained him through temporary periods of joy. <laughs> Some of us deal with disappointment by lowering expectations. What we're going to see this morning is that joy rides on the coattails of them. From the Word of God, Isaiah chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time. He brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he's made glorious the way of the sea and the land behind the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen great light. And those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle of tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice, with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, bless us now through your word. Open our eyes that we may see wonders. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hate to admit it, but... I now tap my brakes for squirrels. <laughs> Not worried about the population. You know, whatever we're doing for quails around here is working for, for squirrels as well. But I tap my brakes for squirrels because my daughter-in-law loves squirrels. I'm the sucker, I know. And so, you know, she loves them. And... My son and, and she built this little picnic table outside of their little house, uh, a very small picnic table just to leave things for squirrels on them. She loves squirrels. It, it comes up again and again and again. She loves them. So every time I see a squirrel running across the road, I, I, do, I tap my brake. Not enough to you know, cause a fender bender or anything like that, but I, be, I have begun to pay special attention to them. You know, it's fun seeing the world through somebody else's eyes, and that's what Advent really is all about. To see the wonder that you were missing. To see through someone else's eyes. That's why we create an enchanted season for children, so that we can see through their eyes again. I love that quotation. You've heard me 
quote Chesterton uh, in this way a time or two, that fairy tales make apples golden so that we can regain the wonder of when we discovered they were red or green. And children see afresh and anew the enchantment that's all around us. They don't even need us to provide, but we need to slow down, tap our brakes this season to see the wonders around us again. Too, too many of us have lowered our expectations in order to guard our hearts from disappointment. You know, you, you kind of, you expected Christmas season last year to soar like the end of The Sound of Music, but it crashed like Christmas vacation, you know? <laughs> and so you lower your expectations in order to guard your hearts. I think the problem that we usually have is that, is that we, we make our expectations hinge upon things that God has not promised us. So let's take a look at this passage in terms of what God has promised us, that we may raise our expectations and that joy may come in on its coattails. He's promised us a listening ear, broad shoulders, a seat at the table, and an assuring hand of peace along the way. First, he, he's, he's promised us a listening ear as a wonderful counselor. But what's so important for us is, is that we distinguish between what God has promised and what he hasn't promised. Too often, we are disappointed with God because we have banked on something he hasn't necessarily promised us. Isaiah is talking as if something has already happened, but he's clearly anticipating something that would happen. What's going on here? It's called the prophetic past. It's like when you really trust somebody and they say, consider it done, you do. When you really trust somebody and they say, consider it done, you do consider it done. That's exactly what's happening here. Isaiah considers it done, this promise. Now, why is it that he has such trust in, in what's coming that he would use the past tense? Because here's the reason, and here's our your first take-home message. He's kept lines of communication open. See, when, when Isaiah was called into ministry, he was eager to serve, eager to serve. But God said, first things first, and you, you remember that just a few chapters earlier, Isaiah conf is confronted with himself and his people. And he realizes, ah, <laughs> this vision of the future hinges not on our merit. I am a man of unclean lips, he says. We are among a people of unclean lips. You know, what, what, what this is like is, it's when you have a disagreement with somebody, and you want and you know that you need to clear it up, and you know you, know you need to have a difficult face-to-face -face conversation with them, not a text, not an email, you need to sit down and talk it out. 
and you're worried that you're going to make it worse, right? You've been there. You've been in this position, right? You're worried that you're going to make it worse. And then you have something. You've got a wedge. You've got a problem with that person. And then you realize you have responsibility in it too. And your eyes begin to open. And you work through this difficulty. And you realize that you had, had been seeing this person through a lens because you let it linger. And you began to see everything else through that same lens. And then you finally took time and, and cleared that lens up. You, you, you wiped it clean and you begin to see that person so much more clearly than you did before. And trust begins to rise. This is exactly what Isaiah experienced when he was called into ministry before he saw this vision of and, and began to enumerate these names for God, these names for the coming Messiah, especially the wonderful counselor. He opened lines of communication. And so he was able to receive from God promises that he considered done. The prophetic past. The prophetic past is what it's all about. Isn't it, isn't it true that our biggest disappointments with God have to do with promises that we held him to that he didn't necessarily make? What has he promised? He's promised a listening ear as your wonderful counselor. And when you go to him, even with complaints, and especially with complaints, you open those lines of communication and you begin to see what he has promised from what he has not promised again. So that's, that, that's the first way we begin to raise our expectations and joy begins to come in. It's to recognize that those lines of communication need to be open, especially in places where we feel disappointed. And second, he's given, he's given to us, he's promised to us broad shoulders. So stop carrying the weight of the world. You need to know what, what belongs to you and what belongs to him. I think many of us think that we, when, when we're having a bad day, when we see things aren't going quite the way that you should go, or when somebody's misbehaving, or when you're dealing with something that, that, that went splat that shouldn't have gone splat, we say, you know what? I mean, we say this. We feel this. We might not say it out loud or fully admit it to ourselves, but we think, you know what? Let me run the universe for a couple of days. You do, don't you? I wasn't the only one. Thank you. That's great. The day of Midian, this reference here, is to get something straight before we go any further. Before, before Isaiah goes any further with this vision of, of, of the coming Messiah, he says, let's get something straight. Here's what's happening. Here's the characterization of the coming Messiah. It's like the day of Midian. What's the day of Midian? Well, that's where Gideon was, was told to dismiss most of his army. And they were told to get down and to, to either scoop up, just to take a drink. And, and so he was to observe who, who drank straight from the stream and who scooped it up with their hands and, and cupped it to their mouths. And the ones who cupped it to their mouths were to go into, to march into battle, and the rest were to be dismissed. And 
people often, you've you probably heard this interpretation that, that the ones who, you know, sort of scooped it up, they were ready for battle, right? They were kind of like, they're keeping an eye out, you know, they're sort of drinking and they're kind of making sure that, you know, they're keeping an eye out or something. Have you ever heard that before? Well, that's nonsense. Because the whole point, <laughs> the whole point of the exercise is an arbitrary distinguishing between uh, who is going to be dismissed and who is going to be kept. It's arbitrary. Because the point of dismissing most of the army is to say, God marches ahead. The mighty God, the mighty God, the sovereign God is our square one. Is that your square one? When you feel like you need to start uh, running the universe, when you're carrying the weight of the world, when you're, when, you're, when you're harboring something against God, isn't, isn't it true that we're carrying something that doesn't belong to us? Square one is our dependency on him. Square one is his sovereignty. Square one is the mighty God. You know, worry does not rob tomorrow of its trouble. It robs today of its joy. Let me say that again. Worry does not rob tomorrow of its trouble. It only robs today of its joy. Is your square one in your highs and lows that God is sovereign? Is that the knot at the end of your rope that we worship a mighty God, that he knows what he's doing even when you think he's, he's asleep at the switch? And you need to take over. Let go of some things that belong on his broad shoulders. Third, he's promised us a seat at the table. <laughs> we have a table right before us just to illustrate. We need to know what he risked to put us at this table. We need to know what he risked. He's the everlasting father. And he had an only begotten son. You see, the, these terms, these descriptions of the coming Messiah are divine. And the Hebrew people, the Israelites, would consider these terms to be blasphemous if they were not directed at God himself. God himself in human flesh. We understand as the son of God. And you can see, this is the heart of the passage. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. The father had the son. The son represents the father. There is a unity here. But there's also a risk. A risk. The one who, who came and risked it all left the dignity and the powerful place, the glorified place of heaven to be among us. Simeon you heard, uh, read that story earlier. Simeon anticipates this very passage. He recognizes in, he's given the power to recognize that, that this is the Messiah. Inasmuch as, as Joseph and Mary understand 
who Jesus is, Simeon too is given the ability to, to reinforce this is who this child is. You know, when, when, a, when a father first, you know, women carry children for nine months, men become fathers <laughs> along the way, certainly, but they feel it when you put that baby into their hands and then the weight of that child transforms a man into a dad. And that father would risk anything now, in an instant now. That father would risk anything for that child. What does it say about you that God risked his son, that God risked his son on your behalf? I love this passage from mere Christianity. It calls us to a posture of risk as well. To, to recognize that a seat at the table was a seat that required a certain measure of risk. What does it mean to reciprocate? What does it mean to put ourselves in a posture where we can receive from God what he is offering? The consolation of Israel, your consolation, his son for your life. What does it take to receive it? a certain measure of vulnerability. Here's what Lewis says. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. You hear the risk? If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. God risked it all for your consolation. How do you receive that? Reciprocate. Take the risk to receive. And finally... God not only offers to us, promises us that we should expect a listening ear, that we should expect him to take from us the weight of the world, that we should expect a seat at the table because of what he's given, but that we should be reassured by his very hand along the way. The Prince of Peace is the perfect illustration of a kingdom that is already here but not fully a kingdom that is here in fledgling form. A kingdom that has started and is accessible to you now. Even if it, has, if it has not yet come in fullness and power. His assurance and peace is available to you now. Are you hospitable to it? Am I hospitable to it? Am I creating in me, in my mind and heart and lifestyle, in my calendar, the hospitality required to receive the Prince of Peace. Are you? Are you hospitable? Verse 7, it says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Increase, there's the word again. 
the idea that there's something started and it's progressing and that we have access to it now and that we should expect more of it, that our expectations should rise as we go. But are we hospitable to it? I love this uh, poem by a Scottish poet, Donna Ashworth, who describes the posture of hospitality to joy. She says this, Joy does not arrive with fanfare on a red carpet strewn with flowers of perfect life. Joy sneaks in. As you pour a cup of coffee, watching the sun hit your favorite tree just right. And as you usher joy away because you're not ready for it, (laughs) your house is not as it must be for such a distinguished guest. But joy cares nothing for your messy home or your bank balance or your waistline, you see. Joy is supposed to slither in through the cracks of your imperfect life. That's how joy works. You cannot invite her. You can only be ready when she appears and embrace her with meaning because in this very moment, joy chose you. You know, what gets me every year uh, in this season is that warm sense of nostalgia. And it doesn't matter that it hangs on this song or that song. It might have hung on a different memory or a different song or a different experience. Nostalgia is something that is remembered but also anticipated. Nostalgia is that sense of of what is promised, a listening ear, that that when lines of communication are open, you don't always fix the thing that was bothering you, but you have a sense that you've been heard. You know, the idea that we anticipate that God is going to be just, that the arc of history bends towards justice. There is an assurance in that. There is a memory of your experiences where God did come through for you according to his promises and where you can find assurances that he will come through for you again, that his broad shoulders can take from you the weight of the world and that the risk is worth it because he risked everything, as you can see, set before you on this table. You have a seat here. And finally, that we put ourselves in the position to receive. This Advent, remember, we're waiting. We're waiting for the consolation, but we're also waiting for the consummation. The consolation is that God has stepped in where we were supposed to be in the, into, the cons- into the consequences that were ours. But the consummation is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Let's pray together. Holy God, we thank you for your goodness to us expressed as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Draw near to us as we seek to draw near to you at a seat at this table. In Jesus' name, amen.